Welcome to Genesis. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. How was Thanksgiving for you guys? Awesome. I didn't hear any like, ugh. Let's go. That's a good sign. Cool. Well, I'm glad you guys came out tonight. Um, it is November 29th, which means we are past Thanksgiving and we are fully in Christmas mode. Do we have any like people that are all about Christmas? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So the Christmas music is on the radio. Christmas trees are going up in people's houses. The elves in Santa's workshop are in like high gear. It's Christmas time, right? It's funny how Christmas kind of changes a little bit as you get older. Like when you're a kid and you open up a Christmas present and it's like socks, you're like, man, I got, are you kidding me? Socks. And now you open socks and you're like, finally, I got some, I got some new socks. Perfect gift is exactly what I wanted. Thanks, mom. Okay. So, and we see this, we see this in the movie Elf. Okay. So you guys like the movie Elf? It's probably my favorite Christmas movie. You, so you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So at the end, where they're all singing Christmas carols, and it's the kids who started singing first, right? And the adults needed a little bit more convincing before they started singing along, right? Okay, so we know what it's like for Christmas to change a little bit as we get older. And the thing is, is that Christmas can get real common after a while, right? You hear the same stories, the same ideas, the same everything every year, every year, uh, year in, year out, that kind of thing. And so over time, Christmas can become very common. But I encourage you throughout this series that we, we've titled Uncommon Christmas to not let it be anything but common, but uncommon. Don't let it be common, okay? These stories are told so much and so often, they can often become very ordinary. And we don't want them to become Ordinary. Okay, so with that said, the events surrounding the birth of Christ are anything but ordinary. They're anything but common. Okay, so even before the fall of man, redemption was planned for us. Even before Eve took a bite of the fruit in the Garden of Eden, even before all of this, redemption was planned for us. And it centered on the coming of the Messiah. And the coming of the Messiah happened at Christmas. We celebrate it at Christmas. And our uncommon God did very uncommon things for you and I to earn salvation. And so even before the fall of man, Jesus was going to come to earth. And he was going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that he would save us from our sins. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Emily and I just got back uh, from a trip to San Francisco. And if you're familiar at all with San Francisco, you know about the Golden Gate Bridge, right? So if you ever watch Full House, like it's in the opening montage of Full House, it's the big red bridge. And the thing about that was it was, it was a work trip for Emily. And so for three of the days that we were there, she had to be in class. And so we just made a vacation out of it. And basically, those three days, I could do whatever I wanted. Like, I could go explore the city, do whatever I felt like doing. Well, one of the things that I wanted to do was actually recommended by Kevin, who apparently, you've been there a lot. Okay, so he told me, you need to go to the Marin Headlands, which is a lot of cool trails and hikes and stuff. You get to see really cool views of the Golden Gate Bridge. So I had just made some plans to go do this one of the days. And I started looking at how to get there, and I realized that you had to go across the Golden Gate Bridge to get there. And the thing about the Golden Gate Bridge, like I said, like that's San Francisco's claim to fame, okay? Like, 
I didn't want to do this without Emily, okay? So this is like the main thing to do is drive over the Golden Gate Bridge. And she was in class. And so I was like, man, I, I, I just don't feel right going over this thing and experiencing this without her. So I rearranged some plans, and we ended up driving over it uh, a few days later when she could come with me. But the thing is, is that I could have. It's, it's not that I could, couldn't go across it. It's that I didn't want to, or I didn't want to experience it alone or without her. And so there's something special about experiencing something great that doesn't make you want to experience it alone. And so God's in, in, in sending his only son to earth to come die for us so that we could one day be with him was his loving and sacrificial way of saying who I am and, and what I am is way too great for you to miss. It's way too great for my people not to experience. I want them to experience my love, my grace, and my goodness, and my glory. It wasn't because he was lonely. It was just he wanted us to be with him. And that was only going to happen with a collision of heaven and earth. And you're going to hear me say that a lot tonight. A collision of heaven and earth. And so we're going to read through some of the Christmas story tonight. But first, let me ask you a question. What would happen if heaven and earth collided in your life? What would happen if heaven and earth collided in your life? So we're going to read some, through some of the Christmas story tonight, and we're going to see this heaven and earth collision take place. But above all, I hope that we can at least rekindle the awe for the birth of Jesus and as we see the magnitude of what it really was. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 1. While you're turning there, uh, do you guys, you guys remember phone books? Yeah, so probably. Okay, so phone books are kind of like not a thing anymore, right? So you used to get this big you know, book full of phone numbers and addresses and people's names just dropped off at your front door, which now when you think about it, that's kind of creepy that all you needed was somebody's name or somebody's address and you could find their phone number or vice versa. So at the beginning of Matthew, in Matthew 1, we see a phone book of sorts that lists out the genealogy of Jesus. Now, this is usually a part of the Bible that you skip over, right? Like all the names. Well, the thing about this is that it shows you a lot about the, the lineage of Jesus, but it shows you a lot how God works. And so let's read it in Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. I thought about reading the whole thing tonight, like all of the names, but I decided not to do that. You're welcome. Okay, so we're going to start reading in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, and it'll be on the screen. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. And so the author saying that Jesus was the son of David and also the son of Abraham had a lot of significance, okay? So this would have shown two things to the Jewish reader at the time this was written. Okay, so since he was the son of David, he was born to rule, okay? So he had a royal lineage. But also he was the son of Abraham, which made, it showed that he had a covenantal lineage, okay? So he was born to rule, but he was also born one of them. And so that was important, okay? So not only was he born with this royal line, but he was also born one of them. And this also affirmed the promise that God made to Abraham way back when, that I'll bless you know, all of your descendants and I'll make you a great nation and all of that. But throughout these next 15 or so verses, we see a lot of names listed out and the genealogy of Jesus listed out. And, and in these names, we find some interesting things. And I was reading through this in my ESV study Bible, and I came across this, this footnote. 
that I thought was so cool. And so I don't want to butcher it. And so I'm going to read it to you verbatim really quick. And I thought this is so cool for tonight. Okay, this is what it says. The inclusion of five women in Jesus' genealogy, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, is unusual or uncommon. Okay, that's our theme for tonight. Since descent was usually traced through men as the head of the family. Rahab and Ruth were Gentiles, and so basically a Gentile was someone that was not of Jewish heritage. So this is someone from the outside of the Jewish line being brought into it. Significant. And Tamar, Bathsheba, and Rahab were women of questionable character. Tamar, in the Old Testament, actually dressed up as a prostitute and made some guy sleep with her. Bathsheba was uh, the, guy, the woman who David slept with. Uh, she was an adulteress, and Rahab was a prostitute, okay? So, and this last line is what I don't want you to miss. It says, the lineage is comprised of men, women, adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, and Gentiles, and Jesus will be savior of them all. That is huge for us tonight, and that can only happen with the collision of heaven and earth. And as we keep reading, we're going to see this meeting of heaven and earth start to take place. So this is Matthew 1, 18 through 19. It starts right after all the genealogy. This is what it says. When Joseph woke from sleep, he, this is a, yeah, this is right. An angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and she called him Jesus. And so we jumped ahead a little bit there. So can we go back? I'm sorry. Can we go back to uh, yeah, here we go. No, this is not right either. I'm sorry. Is it not in there? Uh, Matthew 1, 18. Is that what? Okay, I'm just going to read it out of the Bible then. Is that cool? It's fine. Okay, no. Is that it? No, that's not it. Sorry about this, guys. Um, so this is Matthew 1. Uh, and we start to see the stage get set a little bit here. And so this is what it says. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we see here the stage starting to get set. Okay, so Mary, this Jewish girl from Nazareth, she's young. She's engaged to the love of her life. And all of a sudden, she finds herself being in the middle of what would become one of the most famous stories of all time. And then, you know, you kind of have to think, like, things escalated very quickly for Mary. And then you have to think about things on the side of Joseph. He's young. He's engaged to the love of his life. And all of a sudden, he finds out that she's pregnant. And they hadn't done what's necessary for that to happen yet. And so he's like, okay, well, I don't want to just shout from the rooftops that she's pregnant. And so what I'm going to do is just, I'll just tell her, you know, in private, we probably, you know, shouldn't go through with this and then just move on with their life. And so while he's trying to come up with this plan to do so, we see this happen in the next three verses. And this is what it says. This is Matthew 1, 8, uh, 1 20 through 23. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
So we see this angel come to Joseph and basically tell him, hey, everything's okay. It's all going to be all right. She's conceived with the Savior of the world. It's going to be a boy. Name him Jesus. And so we see this, this angel say that. But the thing is, and you see this a lot in the Christmas story, you see the word behold, right? This word behold, you hear it in Luke a lot. Like behold, and they say what they're going to say. But the thing is, in the Greek, this word behold was the word edu. It's I-D-O-U. I'm not sure how to say it. But that was the word. And basically what this was, was it was something the writer or the speaker would say for the listener or the reader to let them know that whatever he was about to say, they had to pay special attention to because it was going to be very uncommon or unusual. So there we see the theme of uncommon come out again. And as we said at the beginning, our uncommon God did very uncommon things to earn salvation for us. And so these next two verses are where we see the collision of heaven and earth take place in 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What's important to know about scripture is that a lot of time can be covered in one sentence. And so here we see about nine months covered in one small verse. But within those nine months, a lot of things happen. Okay, so like we talked about a couple weeks ago, sometimes books of the Bible come later in your table of contents, but they don't necessarily come later in time. Okay, so Matthew is happening, and then also the account of Luke was happening as well. Okay, so different accounts of the same things. And in the book of Luke, we see a little bit more detail of the story of Jesus' birth. And so within those nine months, Mary and Joseph had actually left, and they had, they had traveled temporarily from Nazareth to a, ta- to a town called Bethlehem for a census. And while they were there, Mary goes into labor. And they try to find a hotel, right? You guys know the story. They try to find a hotel, but none of them are available. All the no vacancy signs are on, okay? So there's no room at the inn. And as the story goes, Mary gives birth outside of the inn in a barn, to the sound of horses neighing and to the smell of cattle, the savior of the world takes his first breath. And there we see the collision of heaven and earth take place. And she lays Jesus into a trough or a manger. And then all of a sudden, things that couldn't mix started to mix. Oil and water can't mix. They started to mix. Righteousness and rebellion, positive and negative. All of a sudden, when Jesus was born, these things started to overlap. Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, 100% man, 100% God, became equal with his creation. And there we see the humble beginnings of the life that would save us all. And the thing about this is though he eventually left the manger The manger never left him. And so he came in this way of humility, but he stayed in his mindset of humility. He spent his life taking on the form of a humble servant, as Paul says in Philippians. And so from Bethlehem to Golgotha, from the barn to Calvary, we see Jesus doing nothing but serving his creation. And so he would fulfill prophecies. He would grow up, fulfill all these prophecies. He would perform miracles. He would die a criminal's death and resurrect three days later. Uncommon things happen when heaven and earth merge. So what could happen if heaven and earth collided in your life? 
We'll see this answer pan out as we continue the story in Matthew chapter 2. So far, we've been following Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And so now we're going to introduce a couple more characters to the story. One by the name of King Herod and the others known as the wise men. And so according to every nativity scene, there was three wise men, but we don't actually know the amount. And so we don't really know how many wise men there were, but there was a group of them. And so after Jesus is born, we see the wise men approach Herod, and he asked them. He said, they asked Herod, they're like, look, we've come looking for the king of the Jews. We've heard that he's been born, and so we've come looking for him, and we've come to worship him. And so all of a sudden, Herod starts to get a little nervous. He starts to be a little concerned, because all of a sudden, he feels threatened. He feels like his position is on the line. Why? Because there's a new king in town. There's a new king that's in Jerusalem. And he had, ne- he had not heard of it. And so he hears this news. He gets a little concerned. And I love this because Jesus has yet to take his first steps. And he's already a threat to kings who sit on earthly thrones. Jesus has yet to take his first steps. And he's already threatening earthly kings. So Herod, he gathers all of his advisors together and his chief priests and the people that know the Old Testament really well. And, and, they, and he asks them, like, look, I heard about this guy that was supposed to be born. Can you tell me where he was supposed to be born? And so they go back and they look at their text. They look at the scripture and they see that he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so they come back to Herod and they, they present it to him. And they're like, look, it says it right here. This is where he's supposed to be born. And they actually reference Micah 5.2 is, the, ref- is the, the verse that they reference. And so he said, they're supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so then Herod, you know, he comes back to the wise men and he tells them, okay, go to Bethlehem, go find this king of the Jews. And when you do, come let me know where he's at and I want to come worship him too. And that's where we pick up the story in Matthew 2, verse 9. Do we have it on the screen now? Matthew 2, verse 9. Yes, okay, cool. So after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So we see the wise men. They take off for Bethlehem. And the verse says, and behold. Okay, so we see that, that word again. Remember, it's used to bring attention to something unusual or uncommon. And so we see the star that they had mentioned earlier reappear. And, and it seemingly guides them straight to where Jesus was. And so because the verse makes it very clear that it was moving, the star was moving, no one really knows what it was, okay? It's not a natural phenomenon because it was moving. So it couldn't have been a comet or supernova or anything like that. It had to be something supernatural or uncommon. So they arrive at the place Jesus was, and then we see an incredible reaction in Matthew 2, verse 11. It says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So we see the wise men approaching the doorstep of what I'm guessing to be Mary and Joseph's house. And so they seem to be welcomed into the house pretty easily. I'm sure at this point, after all Mary and Joseph had seen, hearing that these guys had been led to their door by a star probably wasn't a shock. Okay, so they hear that these guys have come to see Jesus, and so they come right in. Okay, so the wise men walk in, and I love their reaction to seeing Jesus. And remember what they said to Herod. They, they were looking for the king of the Jews. They were in this house because they were on a search for a king. And so they see baby Jesus being held by his mother, and they immediately fall down and worship him. And this was an act of reverence 
for the wise men. But it also shows us the divinity of Jesus even as a baby. And scholars actually believe that these wise men were actually pagans. They didn't even acknowledge that Jesus was the son of God. They had come from the east. They had come from a place that didn't know about God. And so this was an act of reverence for the wise men, but it was also a foreshadowing of what was to come, that every person, Jew and Gentile, would one day bow their knee and confess Jesus as Lord. So we see this happen as soon as they walk into the house. And, and then the wise men, they proceed to open gifts and offer them to Jesus. And so think of this as like the first baby shower. Okay, so they have these gifts, and they present these things to him. Okay, so gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all right? So this was a custom for the culture at the time, to have these wise men offer gifts to kings or to royalty. And so, but the thing is, the three gifts that were given were not a coincidence, okay? So they had some meaning. And so gold was given as like a nod to the kingship of Jesus. And frankincense was a form of incense that was only used on the altar in the temple. And so this was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would later do, being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And then myrrh, which was a sap that was used for embalming fluid. And so another foreshadowing of the reason Jesus came to earth. So let's see the last thing to do in Matthew 2.12. It says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So it seems like they stayed the night and were told in a dream not to return back to Herod. So they took another way back to their home country. Now, this story, it it serves as an unintentional example of what happens to you and me when heaven and earth collide in our life. That these wise men showed us how to worship and honor a king, and they didn't even recognize him as divine. And so how much more should we worship and honor him that we know him not only as king, but as savior? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us back through this story, through the wise men's encounter with Jesus, and we'll see the answer to tonight's question as the men show us how to honor and worship a king. So the first thing they do, and the wise men, they walk into the house. What do they do? They fall down and they worship Jesus. And remember, they did this not because they knew he was the son of God, but because they were recognizing his royalty. And as Christians, recognizing the cosmic royalty of God changes your perspective a little. And so the first thing that happens when heaven and earth collide in your life is this. We see a change of authority. We see a change of authority. And so if Jesus is king of your life, what he commands you to do is no longer optional. When you read scripture and you see it not as just good advice or good suggestions for your life, you start to see them instead as commands from a king. Your perspective changes a little bit when he commands you to do something. That it's not just good advice, it's commands from a king. And the beautiful thing about that is for us, on the other side of the cross, he's also our savior. So he's the king, but he's the savior. He's the savior, but he's also the king. And he's in charge. And so when heaven and earth collide in your life, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the glory of God, you start to recognize his royalty. You start to recognize him as king. And when that happens, all of a sudden, it's not about you anymore. You don't live your life for you. You live it for the king. And this is, this is not some selfish, gluttonous, tyrannical ruler. I mean, these guys, these wise men, they showed up at the house of Mary and Joseph or wherever they were, and they came searching for a king. And I wonder what would have happened if they would have realized 
that the king that they came searching for had actually come to earth searching for them. How would your life change if you stopped feeling like you had to go search for God because he's already come searching for you? The king came looking for us. The king came searching for us. That's pretty uncommon. For us living on, this side, on the other side of the cross, I mean, not only do we get to worship the king, we get to worship the savior. And that's what leads us to do what we see the wise men do next. So after the wise men fall down and worship Jesus, they proceed to offer up their gifts. And for us as Christians, once we have declared Jesus as king, once we realize and recognize his royalty, what follows is the sacrifice of what we have. And so the wise men, they presented their gifts as an act of respect and submission, but as Christians, we do it as an act of sacrifice when we lay down our talents and our possessions at the feet of Jesus. So the second thing that happens when heaven and earth collide is a change of priority. So we had a change of authority, now we have a change of priority. And the thing about giving gifts, and 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 this is the right time of year to be talking about this, the thing about giving gifts is that once you hand it over, once you give over a gift, the person that receives it gets to now do with it whatever they want because you gave it to them. And so what is it in your life that you, what talent, what possession, what material blessing that you needed to lay down at the feet of Jesus and say, God, do whatever you want with it. It's not mine anymore. What sacrifice do you need to make? I've heard it said once that everything you have is either an idol or a tool. And everything you have is either an idol or a tool. I mean, how true is that? God gives us these gifts. He blesses us with things, and he wants us to enjoy them. He wants us to enjoy our life and the things that he blesses us with. But at the same time, he doesn't want us to make idols out of them, but instead turn around and use them as tools to build his kingdom. And so especially this time of year when material things, they want to get too high on our list of priorities. I encourage you to keep the king in his rightful spot. And let all of your possessions, your talents, and your abilities be magnetized to him. So we honor him as king. We hand over our talents and possessions over to him. And the last thing we'll discuss tonight is what we see the wise men do next. So after the wise men presented their gifts, it says that they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they went home a different way. So when heaven and earth collide in your life, there is a change of direction. So the change of authority, submit to Jesus or honor Jesus. And then we see a change in priority, we submit to Jesus. And then we see a change of direction, we're willing to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And so we see so many examples in scripture of God intervening in someone's story. You think about Abram, who started out as just some shepherd in Ur, and all of a sudden we see God intervene in his life, and he becomes Abraham, and he's the father of our faith. You think about the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt until God intervened, and now they're God's people, and he blessed the world through them. You think about Saul, he went from a murderer of Christians until he had, a, had an intervention with Jesus, and all of a sudden he's Paul, and he's like one of the biggest pioneers of our faith. And so the entire trajectory of your life changes after an encounter with Jesus. And I feel like many of us in here tonight are not where we want to be in life. I feel like many of us in here tonight find ourselves in places and situations 
that we never thought we would be in or places that we don't feel like are ideal. And I feel like that is very true tonight for us. That we're not exactly where we want to be or on the path that we want to be in life. So I want to ask you tonight, what path are you on that isn't leading you the way you should go? Where is the path you're on taking you? Is it somewhere you want to be or is it not? I want to encourage you tonight, if that's you, to take your eyes off what's in front of you and set them on heaven. When I first started, started learning how to drive, I had issues staying in the middle of the road. I would either hug the white line or hug the yellow line. And I remember my dad telling me, you know, I've noticed you're doing this, and this is not going to cut it. So what I would tell you to do is to look further down the road, concentrate on the road ahead of you, not right in front of you, and you'll automatically correct yourself. And I started thinking about that, like how true is that in life? That so often we, we, we get so caught up in what's right here, what's right in front of us, the path right ahead of us, and we start swaying a little bit. We start swaying a little bit, and things aren't making sense, and we don't feel like we're headed where we need to go. But I encourage you to set your eyes further down the road. Set your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes on the things ahead. And God has a way of correcting your path. It says in Proverbs 3 that if you trust in God, he will make your path straight. He won't fix all your problems. He won't smooth over all the issues of your life. He won't give you a lot of money. But he'll set you on the right path. And the king can be trusted. The king has a way of taking care of his people. And so in conclusion tonight, we have hopefully discovered new beauty in the story of Jesus. And just like I didn't want to drive over the Golden Gate Bridge without Emily, God sent his son as a way of saying, who I am is too great for you to miss. And on that humble night in a Bethlehem barn, our Savior took his first breath, lying in a major, and we see heaven and earth merge in an amazing and uncommon way. And then he was later visited by a group of wise men who unintentionally gave us an incredible example of what it's like to worship and honor a king. And then how we as followers of the resurrected Jesus can honor him not just as a king, but the king of kings, and also as the savior of the world. When heaven and earth collide in your life, there's a change of authority, a change of priority, and a change of direction. We honor Jesus, we submit to Jesus, and then we follow wherever Jesus leads. I ask the band to come back up. As we respond tonight, this might be an opportunity for you to do one of these things for the first time. Maybe you're ready to finally give over to Jesus the kingship authority that he deserves in your life. Maybe this is a chance for you to lay at his feet what he's given you and finally say, do, what, do whatever you want with it. It's not mine anymore. It doesn't belong to me anymore. It's all yours. Or maybe this is your opportunity to realize that you're not on the path that you want to be on. And it's a chance for you to seek God and let him put, on the, put, put you on the path that he wants you to be on. And all of these only happen when heaven and earth collide in your life. It only happens when God intervenes and does something uncommon like he did in that barn 2,000 years ago. And as we finish up tonight, I can't help but think of a famous Christmas carol that applies so well to tonight. Joy to the world, 
The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for coming to earth, for leaving your heavenly throne for a manger. We thank you that even though you grew up and you left that manger, that manger didn't leave you. That humility, that that act of service, that humble mindset never left you. And you made yourself a servant to all of us and you lived your life perfectly. You fulfilled the prophecies, you fulfilled the law and then you died on a cross. You died a death that we deserved. You took our place and now we get to be with you in heaven because being with you in heaven was something too great for us not to experience. So God, I pray tonight that we would worship you, honor you as king, recognize your royalty, that the commands you give us are not just suggestions or good advice, but they're commands from the king of kings. Pray, God, that there would be a change of authority in people's lives tonight, that they would honor Jesus as king, there'd be a change of priority that we'd submit our things to you and then a change of direction that we would follow you wherever you take us. Pray that we would set our eyes further down the road, trust in you and let you correct our path. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.